Hey there, you're listening to Ghost Notes and Friends, the podcast where we talk about music inside and out with friends. My name is Noah, but you probably know me better as Polyphonic. I'm Corey, you probably know me as 12-Tone, and today we're joined by an actual really old friend of mine, someone I've known for quite a few years at this point. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, sure, yeah. Hi, I'm Tristan. Uh, yeah, Corey and I are really good buddies. Probably been friends now since, I want to say like 2016 or something, like really arcane like that. Yeah, 2016, 2017. No, 2016, I think, yeah, is when we met. Yeah, when, when we were still baby yeah. YouTubers. Um, yeah, first Educon. But I'm Tristan Johnson. I am a YouTuber who runs a channel called Step Back, which talks about the the world. Um, basically talking about current events and stuff going on and trying to show why understanding the past and history is good for understanding that. And I also have a podcast uh, that I co-host with Scott Nicewander of NerdSync called It's Probably Not Aliens, where we started off as a sort of reply show to ancient aliens, but it sort of spilt over into an entire show about pseudo history, pseudo archaeology and uh, conspiracy theories with more of a sci fi bent to it. And as all podcasts yeah. do, the more episodes you go, you increasingly lose coherence over what the point of it is. No, we've we've really narrowed our scope over the years. I think we've got ghost notes down to like a fine point. Yeah, at this yeah. Point. We but, basically uh, talk about the same three topics every episode <laughs> on repeat. So it's pretty hey, great. Don't give away our trade secrets. <laughs> Music good. Speaking of the same three topics that we talk about every time, uh, like, yeah. what, what did you want to talk about? I would like to talk about dungeon synth because it's a really weird, obscure genre of music that I only know about because I am in a weird Venn diagram of like being into metal when I was younger and now being really into like D&D and then <laughs> finding Makes this sense. like weird genre of like very chill, very spooky, very medievally music, but also is deeply tied to like black metal and yeah. stuff. <laughs> it, uh, it's the it's the most chill, technically subgenre of black metal I think you'll ever listen to. Yeah, I hadn't heard of this prior to recording, which is weird because I'm also at the overlap of that Venn diagram. But like, I definitely went and listened to some, and like, I hear what people mean when they say it comes from black metal like that's there but if you if you asked me i just i would not have identified that without having that prompting because mm -hmm. it is like you say it's so chill for those who haven't heard dungeon synth how how would you describe it to people tristan if you were to imagine a movie where a group of adventurers are going through a dark and stormy castle and there's sort of a low ominous vibe going through everything and they're looking for like a vampire or a monster or something. Then picture exactly what music is playing in that scene and you get an idea of what dungeon synth is. So if you like listen to like black metal, you'll know that like there's a lot of eerie sort of spooky chords and stuff used uh, to give it sort of that that that's kind of scary, dark vibe. And if I can remember correctly, and I could be wrong on this front, but the history of the genre is that a very, very, very bad man uh, who was involved mm -hmm. in black metal found himself in prison for doing murder. And but it was Scandinavian prison. So he was able to get access to uh, like a keyboard. So this metal guy was trying to make whatever music he could with just a keyboard. And all of his like, you know, bona fides are in black metal. So he kind of made this little genre and then and now he's out of prison but like it has then kind of morphed into its own 
subgenre of music. Uh, almost like if I were to like try to find other weird, obscure genres put into, like it's almost kind of like doom. I don't know if you guys have done yeah. doom uh, metal in an episode, <laughs> but dark, slow, deep with like, but all synthesizers. Like it's always all synthesizers. I think what's interesting about it too, though, is like it is, I, th- I think especially now it's spun off because there's also a lot of dungeon synth. Like I listen to dungeon synth a fair bit. I'm, a little on the metal side of the Venn diagram, mostly. I'm a big D&D nerd, and I use Dungeon <laughs> Synth as backdrop music when I'm DMing a lot because it's fantastic for that. But also when I'm like doing session prep and like writing and stuff like that, I'll often use it. And what I find about it is there's some Dungeon Synth that, that's also just like like super, super sort of like calming. And it's interesting because, I'm, I mean, I feel like in my mind, it's almost this weird, unlikely intersection where there's the obvious black metal roots, but then especially a lot of modern stuff is also very, like, seems very influenced by, like, vaporwave and, like, chill wave, which is a genre name yeah. I really hate. But, um, <laughs> but like, like that sort of, like, loose, ambient, electronic stuff that's very big on YouTube these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely, like, a modern uh like uh soundcloudy type yeah. uh, way that music has moved where like a lot of people with small digital setups are inventing these like rapid fire micro genres of music yeah yeah i mean genres complicated but uh but no like I, definitely when i was listening to it one of the things that struck me and that this is maybe an obvious comparison but uh video game music yes which like partly obviously the sound palette is borrowed from before we could do record like full like string recordings on things and had to do not like it's not chiptune but like a generation or two after like yeah. legitimate chiptune mm-hmm. uh but like beyond that also like you say the ambience feels very very background music feels very meant to be played on a loop and constructed intentionally to work in a very repetitive environment yeah it's atmospheric which, it's ambient yeah yes yeah, that's, but yeah, no, like, I, I don't know, like I said, I, I kept, like, I was listening to this album, I was playing a video game while I was listening to it, I was playing the game on mute, and it kept feeling like it was the background music for the game that I was playing, Yeah, and working really well in that context. Again, with all of these intersections, like, it is very much a ambient music and like like I think it's by design it really doesn't draw attention to itself which is part of the part of the whole appeal is it's just it's really nice background listening. Yeah. Yeah. And so like ambient like if you think about like another good way to look at it yeah looking at ambient music music designed to fade into the background but on top of that like a lot of ambient music has you know tries to evoke different moods and this one specifically goes for this gothic dark mood so that's kind of like there's the metal connection where like it sounds the way black metal feels (laughs) yeah 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 it's very spooky spooky is generally the word that i would use like i whereas black metal in my mind is sort of like like terrifying or like you know you know invokes dread i feel like dungeon synth synth invokes sort of an unease and spookiness those are technical terms yeah, I think sort of Tristan was saying the idea of like looking for the vampire, whereas black metal is finding the yeah. vampire. <laughs> I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
So that's like the main thing about that genre that um, that stuck out to me. And uh, I think I fell down hard on it because I also like Dark Ambience, which is another kind of similar yeah. genre. And it's very good editing music. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's great editing music. Well, and I think it's interesting because I, I think it operates in this sort of like cultural space that a lot of this stuff, you know, like your dark ambience, your chill waves, all of that, you know, there's this whole, and for some reason, I don't know about, I don't know about you guys, but like, I only ever listen to Dungeon Synth on YouTube. Like I don't listen to it on Tidal, which is where yeah. I listen to most of my music. I just sort of, usually what I do, you know, I have certain albums that I like, but usually I'll just like go to YouTube and just search Dungeon Synth and there's just really cool album artwork that I love. That is That's, exactly what yeah. I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I found a channel called the Dungeon Synth Archives. Yes. And it was like, yep, this is the one. Which of these albums looks coolest? Well, and and I think it's interesting because I think the sort of that mode of engagement is how it's sort of meant to be, which I think is something that's very, yeah. it's very different. You know, it, it's not really like, like I'm, there are artists and there are album albums and it does sort of brush up against that, but mostly it feels like it's meant to be engaged with through sort of algorithmic discovery where you're just listening to one and then you see a cool album cover that matches the vibe of, you know, whatever your campaign is doing right now. And you, go to that like I find it very it just it's sort of the whole way that you engage with it I think defies the way you come at a lot of you know popular music and I think that's a really interesting aspect to it yeah you can almost uh the other comparison the obvious comparison to me and my personal experience has been the same with um uh vaporwave but also simpsons wave which is like yes. a subgenre yeah. of vaporwave <laughs> yeah. that uses clips from the simpsons and I feel like I kind of came into that the exact same way because I would never be like all right, I'm just going to boot up Spotify and type in Simpsons waves yeah. so that I can have a nice <laughs> listen. But yeah, like uh, YouTube can kind of just take you down. It's one of those places where it's uh, when you hit the Simpson wave part of YouTube, you're like, okay, it's probably it. it you can only listen to it about 4:15 in the morning. It's bedtime. You're like, it's bad time now. Yeah, Gotta work in the morning. <laughs> but yeah, I think it ties in so more broadly to Tristan's point from earlier about sort of this development of modern online micro genres. Yes. Yeah. And where where I think a lot of that is, and this is like an interesting thing as three YouTubers to be talking about, you know, obviously medium is message, et cetera, et cetera. Like the, the stuff that gets made on platforms is very much influenced by the structure of those platforms. And so a lot of these micro genres are very much relying on that discoverability of YouTube and of that space as a way to like you say, get people in the door and get people to start listening. And then as soon as you click on one Simpsons wave video, like YouTube goes like, oh, you want to see this? We have a million of these. A million people are making this for some reason. Not for some reason. That's that's not fair. Respect to Simpson wave artists. but And in some places it actually has popped through into the mainstream, like this kind of genre thing. Like I feel like um, this is the roots of hyperpop. Yeah. Uh, sort of 100 yes. gex genre. Yes, extremely. Uh, that kind of comes out of this like that kind of thing. So it is um, it is interesting that it is turning into the newest phase of, I guess, like musical, like genre exploration, like at the cutting edge of like what things are going on. It also yeah. happens, it happens on YouTube, but also on SoundCloud. SoundCloud is also like the big yes. place where this is going down. Yes, extremely end up with so. like clown core or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I think it's interesting too, because 
the micro genre nature micro genre nature the micro genre nature I, I of all it. of this it's it's a really interesting thing to me because it sort of speaks to i think some of the ways that genre is you know starting to collapse in on itself uh because functionally yeah. like i don't think there is that much difference between you know Dungeon Synth and Chill Wave and Dark Wave. And like, I think all of these things are all, you, you know, they all operate in a similar aesthetic space. They all use the same cultural signifiers. It's just sort of the purpose of the listening that's a little different. Yeah. But I think it's really interesting that all of these, um, you know, all of these micro genres, a lot of them, the difference in the genre is actually sort of in its origins and in how it came there. Because Vaporwave came from a very different place than, you know, Dungeon Synth. And, like, Simpsons Wave is sort of an offshoot of Vaporwave. And it, there's all this sort of wave stuff where it its, its roots are in, like, you know, like, city pop and, like, a lot of um, 80s Japanese ambient stuff. And then Dungeon Synth is in black metal. It's kind of like that thing, what's it called? Yeah. Where, like, Convergent Evolution, where, like, you know, yes. all of these animals keep evolving to act kind of like crabs. Is it is it a thing that every genre eventually converges to evolve into chill ambient music that you find <laughs> through YouTube recommendations? Well that that gives me something to chew on which is that um is it the fact that maybe music is evolving in a way and this is going to as the non-musician but also this is going to sound like almost blasphemous but um <laughs> but music is I, and I think a lot of people can point this out in like recent years that music is moving away from being sought out stuff like there's a lot more yes. people who yeah like today compared to like maybe 15 years ago who would say like that they like, like will sit down and listen to music. And it's increasingly turning into, I think a lot of media is turning into a thing you listen to while doing something else. Yeah. And yeah. this sort of moving in the ambient direction creates that, that uh, like optimizes for that kind of thing. And maybe that's why it's uh, doing yeah. so well. That makes it like sort of the second screen viewing of music. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think, Lo-fi black you know, metal to study to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like we're also, like it feels partly a product of, uh, and not to sound uh, oh, academic for a second, but like the digital acceleration of cultural production. Yeah. In that like back in say the 1960s, you couldn't have an algorithm that showed you a, a thousand different Dungeon Synth albums. Yeah. Because... It was really expensive to make an album, especially a synth album in the 1960s. Um, but uh, but like it just you you couldn't have that much access to, with all um, apologies to Patrick Willems, content. Uh, like it just wasn't available, and so with the internet and with the spread of both media distribution and media creation tools, there's just so much more out there that I wonder the extent to which like part of the appeal of these ambient genres is that they kind of let you get like a two for one. Like I said, I was, I was playing a video game while listening to this and I could sort of do both. And that way, 
you get a bit more exposure to the cultural landscape because the cultural landscape has become so goddamn large. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also the other aspect, and this is something I kind of hinted at at the beginning, but also is one of the things that makes it also very emblematic of modern day, which is that when we talked about the person who is the uh, the star, the person who started this, um, his name is Varg Vilkernis. Yeah. And um, if anyone doesn't know, not only is he a murderer, uh, but also he is a neo-Nazi. Uh, and this is the part that makes Dungeon Synth uh, really like it's a thing that uh, like I vibed with a lot. But then I am like at one point I'm like I'm on Spotify literally giving my like, you know, one one hundredth of a penny to Varg Vilkernis, the neo-Nazi who also made a white supremacist TTRPG and uh, is now just sort of a like alt-right lord on the yeah. internet. And I hate that. Yeah, the way I've like often described Varg to people who don't get him is that he's the sort of person who at one point had to issue a public statement clarifying that he no longer identified as a Nazi because of the anti-Scandinavian implications. <laughs> so like, just, just to get a sense of who this person is. Yeah, a sense of how how deep down the scumbag rabbit hole he is. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I well, and I think it's interesting uh, too because I mean this is actually verging a little outside of music and into another one of my my uh, passions. But I think it's interesting specifically with you know dungeon synth and metal in general. Um, there's a lot of you know, fantastical imagery and Dungeon Synth, I think, is having its sort of huge resurgence right now or because uh, a big part, because as we've talked about, because of like how big TTRPG uh, and D&D specifically is now. And I think it's interesting because I think both of these also bring up the interesting and complex histories of, you know, racist iconography in fantasy media as well, because this is, as someone who I absolutely love fantasy media, it is it is a tradition that is, you know, rife with some pretty iffy stuff, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, a lot of depictions of dwarves are just straight up anti-Semitic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's not even a that's not even like a uh, uh, an illusion. That's literally what Tolkien did. But he, he wrote about it. Uh, and also, yeah, like fantasy is yeah, fantasy runs into that problem. There's a lot of like there's a lot of uh, themes that involve with like you know um, essentialism in it, yeah, bioessentialism yeah. that and, and the fact like a fundamental biological difference between two people who are still human coded. And there is something about that that definitely appeals like uh, one of them more funny, but also ridiculous uh, neo-Nazis who used to be on YouTube. I don't know if he still is, was a guy named the Golden One who was like this Swedish (laughs) bodybuilder who looked like Hercules, but also was a neo-Nazi. And he once like and he would try to talk about philosophy and stuff like that. But if you look on his like bookshelf, it was just all fantasy novels. And that is like a big a big thing. There is a sort of. And if you want to go like really literary on it, there's a sort of link between fantasy and uh, romanticism, yeah. which is sort of a movement in in literature. And romanticism is also tied to nationalism, which is then the sort of uh, roots of fascist ideology, too. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think it's interesting, too, because like one of the one of the things about and I don't specifically know who is making 
dungeon synth right now. Like I don't I don't really know the makeup of all of the creators and I don't know exactly what the culture of the scene looks like now, but I know the culture of TTRPG incredibly well. And it's and I imagine a lot of people making Dungeon Synth right now just due to its ties to TTRPG fall within this. And it's interesting because like like D is an incredibly yeah. ex- inclusive, incredibly progressive, incredibly queer space generally right now. So it's interesting to see how you know, music with such hateful origins has made its way and become so tied to this world that is, you know, for a lot of people, uh, espouses the exact opposite of those ideals. I think it's a good thing, Um, but no matter what, it's definitely an interesting thing. Yeah, and just just to define a term, because we've used it a couple of times, TTRPG is tabletop role-playing game, for anyone who's not familiar. Uh, like D- Dungeons and Dragons is the famous yeah. one, uh, but stuff in that space. Yeah, just so everyone's clear. Yeah, it's where you're. A gr- it's where a bunch of grown adults uh, roll dice and do math to figure out whether or not they kill things. It's a very. Yeah. It's extremely fun. It is the most fun thing. I, I think there's a, there's a quote from uh, a D and D like influencer that I like a lot who said that uh, Matt Colville who said oh, that D and D is the most fun that you can have with your brain. <laughs> and I, I don't disagree with that term. Sure. And I, and I am in a call right now with, I believe, two DMs. Yes. So. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Two DMs and probably probably with like, I, I don't know about you, Tristan, but I am currently actively DMing two different campaigns. So I think there's probably more campaigns than people in this call right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm balancing three at the moment yeah. um, and, and, and celebrating moving them off of D&D because of some other stuff. But uh, nice, nice. luckily, I'm not going crazy. Like only one of those is once a week. The rest of them are like once a month ish. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I'm I'm in one once a month game. Uh, so. You know, I overcommitted during COVID and it kind of just took over everything. <laughs> yeah, but I think to, to Noah's point, an interesting thing with Dungeon Synth and with these sorts of genres in terms of the politics of the band is that without lyrics, they become a lot yes. harder. Like I've been listening recently to a band called Cattle Decapitation. Great name. Uh, I don't know if either of you are familiar with uh, they're like a death grind band animal activists but in a way that often tilts over into like eliminationist eco-fascism okay which isn't great i don't love that um and sort of a combination of like you know being animal activist animal rights activists but also being in grindcore and wanting to have this sort of over-the-top um you know brutalist imagery of grindcore and and you know I, i think that 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 leads makes the music's somewhat uncomfortable to listen to sometimes, even though I really like a lot of parts of it, uh, because I don't really agree with what they're saying. Dungeon Synth, or at least the stuff I listen to, correct me if I'm wrong, you two know this genre way better than I do. But as an ambient genre, I'm assuming a lot of this stuff doesn't have lyrics. No. And yeah, so I've never encountered lyrics with it. it. Yeah. But I, yeah. It becomes, I think, a, a much more complicated question in that case, where like, you can't point to parts of it and be like, well, this is concerning to me as a thing to express or even like as a thing to 
spread as, as spread the message of whatever this thing is because they're not spreading a message they're just making beeps and boops yeah the dungeon sid very much has a very specific because it's born out of the music that vilkernis made while he was in prison it has this yeah. very much like a uh, vibe where it sounds like stuff made on like cheap keyboards that you bought in the early 1990s and then yeah. recorded onto like a cassette tape because that's literally how it happened. And that is still sort of the vibe that people go for. So like there's not even like there's not even uh, there's no lyrics. There's not even vocals. Uh, and yeah. if there are, it's going to be that kind of like, uh, you know, 1990s, like $100 synthesizer, like yeah, synth yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. The other influence that I always see on a lot of Dungeon Synth 2 is a lot of it, which, again, a uh, big fan of, reminds me of, like, the Age of Empires 2 soundtrack, which is just sort of a seminal music for me. Um, but because of that, yeah, I, I, I agree. But I think it's interesting, and I think one of the things that I really like about Dungeon Synth is it it is... I. I I would describe it as, even though it's not lyrical, I would describe it as a narrative genre. Like, as I see it, it's sort of, it, it's an interesting exercise in minimal narrative because usually what you have is you have an album title. Sometimes you'll have song titles, but really mostly you're just listening to the album as a whole, so you're not paying that much attention to that. And you have a singular image, usually steeped in fantasy Im imagery, and then you have sort of the the music itself. And put together, one of the things that, like, when I first started falling into the Dungeons and Rabbit Hole, like, one of the things that really excited it, uh, me about it is how well it can do almost like mythopoeic world building with such tiny limitations. And I think it's something. That's interesting, but yeah, like you said, like without the without the clear lyrics, there's no. I, I think you're bringing a lot of yourself and your the media yeah. you've read and your reading of the media to these sort of pseudo narratives. But there is still there's still story there, which I think is really cool. Yeah, it's sort of like a Dark Souls, where it's like uh, it, it's expressed through through vibe and. And like and subtle clues rather than like explicit words. Yeah, it's the Dark Souls of games. There you go. You got your title. Yeah. Or the Dark Souls of music. You got your title. <laughs> like I think the point you're making about sort of bringing a lot of your own perspective to it is really important because, like you say, a lot of the modern Dungeons and Dragons scene, even if not necessarily the the people actually in charge of making Dungeons and Dragons, which is a whole separate question. But a lot of that scene is very open, very diverse, very especially queer friendly. And, you know, if I listen to stuff that sounds like D&D &D feels, I can project that onto it. And my, my experience with that community and with that world, whether or not that's true of the creator and whether or not that's how they feel. And that's not, and the, you Art, know, definitely artist, it gets complicated right. once you get like all the way to Burzum. Like yeah. that's... yeah. At that point, things get a lot messier, but... And something that, like, I would say, and maybe this is a hot take, is... Uh, I don't actually think it's a very hot take, but if you want to listen to Dungeon Synth, just don't listen to Varg. There's a lot of stuff. Yeah. And, and you don't know, you know, I'm sure there are people that make it that have... That are horrible, hateful people. I'm sure there's also lots of people that make it that are fantastic people. You can't know 
everything about everyone, but you can know that you probably shouldn't listen to yeah. the Varg stuff. Yeah, you can take, you know, any random artist, you can make a fairly solid guess that they're a better person than yes, Varg. Yes, exactly. Um, Those people are, just yeah. Just on, on just stochastic principles. Yeah. Uh, but, like, yeah, that, that it is interesting, because, like, I have wanted to do a Ghost Notes episode all about sort of what to do with great music by terrible people for a long time. Uh, we've never got around to it because oh, that one's heavy. Yeah, uh, yeah, and just have to be like it, both emotionally prepared to deal with that at the same time. Uh, but like my thought for how to handle that in the way that got the fewest people mad at us was to just use one example, and the example I was planning to use was Bursum. Yeah, was just like so. This this is just has been quintessentially in my mind for years as the band that's bad, the bad people. They they do. Or a bad person, really. There mm -hmm. were other people, I think, involved in Burzum at times, but it was primarily a, a Varg project uh, for the most part. Like, a, basically a solo thing, to my understanding. He had collaborators, but it was his thing. I, I was not when you were like, oh, you want to do, like, Dungeon Synth? This, like, fun, like, ambient electronic genre that sounds kind of metal -y. And I was like, cool. And they were like, yeah, no, then we could rip into Varg Vilkertes. And it's like, Corey, oh it's me. Oh, what no. were you expecting me to bring to the show? <laughs> you know me too well. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it wouldn't be a step back video without like a sudden veer into discussing, uh, discussing fascism. Yeah, I'm the feel bad hit of the summer. That's my thing. Oh, God, yeah, I have... I remember making that gif of you at one point from one of your videos. There's just like, oh, this is going to be another bummer video, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yep. I think I still have that on my computer. So perfect. Somewhere. Great vibe. But I mean, <laughs> I think one of the interesting things, and, and maybe this is the, the question to pose about Dungeon Synth is, I, I, I think, you know, there's, I, I'm kind of of two minds because there's a mind where it's sort of, you know, by continuing to perpetuate it, there's a way in which you are continuing the legacy of this really awful person. But then I also think, especially especially given the nature of Dungeon Synth and how it's sort of perpetuated, like we talked about earlier, through, you know, sort of loose algorithmic stuff, through floods of enormous amounts of content, it's almost like just sort of this thing that he invented has just been stolen from him, and now anyone yeah. can do it and i think that i think i think stealing stuff from neo-nazis is is good um yeah maybe that that might get me in trouble uh don't yeah. steal the hateful stuff uh but i mean i i have a question for either of the two of you if you know this uh just a historical question did he call it dungeon synth i have no idea Ooh, well, yeah, I don't or know. was that applied later because that's sort of like part of what i'm thinking on this is that he doesn't own the sound. Yeah. That that would be very silly to let him have. Uh or to let anyone have. But and so to an extent there's like modern from my understanding especially because a lot of this is on YouTube it feels like a very different culture from the culture that he was making stuff in. And so you know to an extent you know I've always argued I say always for a long time argued that genre is culture uh in large part but there's also and so it is important to recognize his position in that culture but there's also a cultural divide in the transition to youtube where i think a lot of people would not look at it as this style evolved from the work of varg so much as they would look at it in sort of the same way they would think about bardcore like that's sort of 
fun meme genre. Not, you know, necessarily meme but, you know, this sort of fun micro-genre that's has cool album art and feels good to play D&D to. A quick Wikipedia suggests that, like, Varg didn't call it Dungeon Synth. Cool. Um, yeah, and I mean, that, yeah, that's... But... Yeah, unclear how unclear, relevant that yeah. is, but... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's more looking like it was built out of... Like, he kind of did some stuff while he was in prison, but then it got picked up by, like... It's very... It, there's some very amusing stuff in this because it shows that, like, a lot of the first people who made uh, Dungeon Synth stuff were, like members of black metal bands who like had a falling out with their band and then they just had a little while where they didn't have anything else to do so they just got a keyboard and started making demos and i'm like oh so it's like a, a, it's like always the like um for like the 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 black metal person who doesn't have a band yeah. type uh, to make music with <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah well i, I think it's, it's interesting the classic dave mustaine fine i'll go make megadeth if you guys think i'm an asshole thing. I, I think it's interesting too the ways that uh you know genre construction is mythologized right because even as we were talking about like yeah. the, the myth of varg in prison doing this dungeon since since stuff clearly there is some truth to that um but also like yeah also it's just a bunch of lonely black metal heads you know which is yeah <laughs> there's a lot less sort of you know romanticism to that uh, i i i mean i mean that in the like like I don't mean yeah, yeah. lowercase. Yeah. You to, yeah, yeah, you also have to get through through the uh, the the deep fact, which is that black metal artists are at their core gigantic nerds. Yes, like humongous yeah. nerds. Uh, another yeah. thing too, that I think that is really cool about the genre are you also don't need to just say that about black metal artists. Metal metal, metal is metal the nerdiest, is the nerdiest music, genre of music. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, but uh, one of the I'm things I'm mad, that, but you're right. <laughs> It's for nerds. What's it called? You don't yeah. end up with a you don't end up with a genre that has Camelot and Rhapsody and uh, that one time that uh, Christopher Dragon Lee Force. made an album. Yeah, Dragon Force. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, the Christopher Lee album that was so cool. Yeah, um, but one of the other things I think that's also really interesting uh, in like a cultural aspect is that. It definitely because it has its origins in the early 1990s and still has that like 1990s synth uh, feel yeah. in it's obviously trying to evoke uh, a sense of like fantasy. There is an aspect to it that feels like it is what the fantasy genre and being a fan of the fantasy genre felt like pre like, you know, Harry Potter and pre like the Lord of the Rings movies yeah. where like it was yeah. still an obscure genre and there was like a small kind of cult group of people that were really into it and they were you know kind of like there was a time where like fantasy was for like nazis and hippies and like a kind of this kind of comes from that period where fantasy hadn't really gone like speculative fiction in general so sci-fi also hadn't really become as mainstream yeah. yet either and but fantasy wouldn't have like those really big movie hits that made it kind of cool like it is today uh, or cool and heavy quotation marks but um more popularly yeah. acceptable um and so this has more of like, you know, back when fantasy was very much like DIY and a lot of the imagery, like a lot of those images you talked about evoke a lot of like, you know, OD&D, like, like the D&D books from like the 1970s and stuff like that, where they had very low printing budgets and everything was in black and white. Yeah, and, a lot yeah. of them are like, look like very low quality scans. Yeah. Yeah. And this is like, I, I think, and I, I don't expect a lot of pushback on this from this crowd. Like, I think... That for the most part, you know, fantasy, sci-fi, all of these things becoming more mainstream, getting more attention. I think that's great. 
Uh, but like as someone who was definitely in that space prior to, you know, I think Lord of the Rings is for me the, the big watershed moment for that. Like Harry Potter a little bit, but that was more, that was still young adult. Uh, I think Lord of the Rings was when it was like, this is just a, a thing. This is the thing now. This well, is the cultural moment. And, and I, I, like it feels... I mean, I think it's interesting because I think for me, like Lord of the Rings, like Lord of the Rings came out when I was like 10. Like I, it, I think... I think the cultural moment where it like, I mean, people, a lot of people like liked Lord of the Rings and stuff like that, but I actually think the cultural moment where fantasy truly crossed over into the mainstream is Game of Thrones. I think after Game of Thrones, everyone Fair. really got into fantasy. But anyways, I'm in the middle of your yeah. idea there. Yeah, no, like I, that's an interesting point. Uh, I think that Game of Thrones couldn't have existed without oh, Lord yeah, of the Rings. Oh yeah, totally, yeah. Uh, but, uh, but like, that is a fair point. That is really a major flashpoint as well. But like, yeah, growing up in the nineties, like reading R.A. Salvatore, um, like there was just, there was a sense of community to it. And like, like you say, this sort of like niche thing of being one of the fantasy kids at your school. Yeah. And you know, there weren't that many and you found playing each other. Magic the Gathering or like, playing, yeah. 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 To make it all go full circle, though, too, in that is that we talked about how like TTRPG spaces have become like this place of radical acceptance and, and togetherness and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And this sort of reflects like it feels like that old feeling. That old feeling was when fantasy and this kind of stuff was like the exclusive white boys club. Yeah. And yeah. The, the sort of pushback in a lot of like, you know, nerdy spaces against inclusivity comes from them it comes from being you know a reactionary and not investigating your own emotional issues but yeah. it also comes from uh feeling like your identity is under threat because if you like you know if you're one of those people who was definitely not cool in school and this was the thing that you kind of built your your community and your identity around to then have it kind of go mainstream and and you know open up an inclusivity it's like there's like yeah. this 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 identity threat that would make your hankles go up. And then if you have like some unexamined misogyny, racism and, and other various uh, forms of not having a, a very kind brain, uh, then you react to it in a violent way. And maybe like, that's why you end up with like some of the, the grandfathers of these, like the genre of music being shitty people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, there's um a story from like, this is a deep cut from like my friend group in high school, but like we were at IHOP late at night and this like drunk frat bro comes over and sits down and is hanging out with us. He was headed to the bathroom and he decided to talk to us. He was cool. Like he was a cool dude. And we were chatting and somewhere across the table, one of my friends started talking about like White Wolf, uh, the role playing game. And he was like, oh, what are they talking about? And one of my friends was like, oh, just just nerd. Sh and he was like, oh, I'm such a nerd. You know what game's great? Call of Duty 2. And like we are my friend group. We still make jokes about it. But also like that dude was trying to connect. He was trying to be friends and he was trying to, and he was a cool dude. And so there's an extent to which like I have a lot of respect for just hearing someone talk about White Wolf and be like, well, this is the level of nerd that I understand. So I, I'm going to try and contribute. And like, I don't know what the point of that story was, but that's a story. I think it's interesting because I think that the sort of outsider sort of tiny in-group aspect of uh yeah. of fantasy and sci-fi fandom I, I wonder if that also 
again, to sort of bring back something we were talking about earlier, I wonder how much that plays into the perpetration of these micro genres, right? Because I think that comes from a very similar place with, with people labeling these things as micro genres. I think it always strikes me that the reason, one of the reasons why people, you know, are so sort of insistent about this specific tiny niche micro genre is that allows them to have something that feels special and it feels like it is for them and their tight knit community only. And, you know, that's why I I probably will have pissed some people off earlier when I said vaporwave and dungeon synth are adjacent to each other because, you know, people in that community that their whatever their specific niche micro genre is, it, it means something to them that it is that, and it means something that it has its own sort of, um, you know, signifiers and traditions and history and something like that. So I think that that sort of same place of feeling like an outsider looking for community is actually, you know, I, I think that's part of what plays into the, the creation of these hyper niche, hyper self referential micro genres. Yeah, and this is like, this is definitely partly like a modern social media thing. Yeah. But it's also has plenty of, especially in metal, plenty of historical oh, yeah. precedent. Like this has been metal, not not all the way back to its inception, but like for decades now, metal has been obsessed with like subgenrefication. Yes. I remember at one point like posting uh, that I was listening to Behemoth and it was nice to listen to black metal. And someone in my like Twitter uh, mentions was just like, I think you mean blackened death metal. <laughs> like it's, it's not, they're definitely not pure black metal. And it's like, yeah, okay. That's probably true. Also, I don't care. Yeah. Uh, I mean, music is one of the main reasons that many people have try like found their identity group, especially when you're a teenager. Yeah. Like I would, I would almost argue that, um, maybe this isn't true anymore with younger generations, but at least as far back as when I was in high school, and I guess we were in high school, like music was like the primary thing that you use to differentiate yes. yourself. Yes, extremely so. Uh, but I think like it's interesting to compare metal, which is a genre that like culturally really values its outsider status. And like that's, I think, a lot of the point of a lot of metal communities to something like pop, which doesn't. And I think in mainstream pop, you tend to see a lot less of this sort of micro genrefication. Yeah. Like there's a very real sense in which most people would accept if I said that Madonna and Ariana Grande were the same genre. Like that's decades apart and there's a lot of stuff has changed since then, but they're, they're both pop artists. And so that feels fair in a way where if I say like children of Bodom and Megadeth. Yeah. 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 Whereas if you said like Mastodon and Iron Maiden, like, yeah. 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 Yes. No, that's a good example too. But yeah, It's funny. One time I actually saw Iron Maiden and Mastodon open for Iron Maiden. Oh, (laughs) that's cool. (laughs) Just by sheer coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. But no, that that sort of, I, I think that there is, Certainly something to be said for these micro genres reflecting both a feeling of outsider status and a desire for outsider status, a desire for the ability to say like, no, this is my very specific thing. And, you know, you you have your thing and that's cool. 
but like this isn't just like ambient synth this is dungeon synth yeah and that's and it's it's different it's sonically different like this is again to go to go to like metal subgenres like when you say behemoth is black inch death metal more than they are pure black metal i know what you mean like i understand the sonic reference points that you're pointing to like that is a meaningful statement it's just putting all of this weight on the genre as opposed to just observing differences between bands which is you know isn't good or bad it's just a thing yeah i i think i think as always in true ghost notes fashion i think a lot of our observations here i don't want them to come off as qualitative like i i just think yeah. i just think it's neat you know to to pick, quote marge simpson <laughs> on the qualitative point at least one opinion that we have expressed here is a genuine value judgment and those are the opinions about varg vilkerness is that right yeah varg vilkerness he sucks yeah i had always pronounced that differently but i believe you because i've only ever seen it written but yeah he sucks that's that's a qualitative objective judgment uh but the rest of this about microgenrification and et cetera, et cetera. Nerd you know, culture. Take it or leave it. Yeah. Yeah. Man, we really picked at that and a whole lot of stuff came out. <laughs> that's that's the ghost notes special. We nice. Yeah. I mean, like you said, uh, you are Tristan Johnson. I don't know what you were expecting. Yeah, that's so. true. Oh, man. <laughs> but yeah. No, you, you hit on the exact cross-section of the stuff that Step Back does and the stuff that Ghost Notes does. Yeah. And, yeah. Sweet. Yeah, I guess uh, that would have been... The other idea was to do world music, which has another similar problem. But that's a different thing. Oh, God. Oh, God, God. yeah. It, no, that's... Yeah. World music yeah, might Noah be... Noah has opinions about world yeah, music. There, there is... Yeah, world music might be my least favorite two words combined which is odd because yeah. i love the world and i love music um but <laughs> yeah noah and i have many times had the conversation about like both the genres world music and art music mm -hmm. and why we hate both of them for basically the same but also kind of opposite reasons <laughs> yeah one thing that i sort of i i talked into i talked about it a little bit but one thing that i really wanted to sort of Hammer Home about Dungeon Synth. That's one of my favorite sort of aspects of it is like I the album artwork of Dungeon Synth is just absolutely incredible. Yes, like it's really just just you know as as we were talking about as someone who grew up a fantasy nerd and you know scary stories to tell in the dark. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> and and just like just like all these sort of like you know pulpy they look like like the cover of like the belgariad or something like that like these like pulpy 80s style when they're they they either look like like you were saying Tristan like old D&D source books or they look like you know a book you'd buy for 2.99 in a used bookstore that you just buy because there was a dragon on the cover and you liked dragons um yeah like mm -hmm. But I, I, I just think that that's it's it's such an interesting thing to how like I genuinely wonder, you know, if you took one of these things, uh, one of these Dungeon Synth albums and put it under a picture of, I don't know, something not fantasy, even just under like a sci fi picture 
uh, like if you put it under a picture of the moon, I think it would feel different. Uh, like I think it's interesting. I mean, depends what that moon looks okay, like. Yeah, but. that's true. The moon is a very, <laughs> very fantastical image often, but under yeah. under a picture of a rocket ship, you know, like yeah. I think I think it's interesting the way that with these sorts of minimal uh, musics, you know, that are so sparse and contain so little uh, in a lot of ways. Yeah. The way the the ways that a, a well placed piece of artwork can really inform and transform your listening. I think that's a really cool aspect of it. Yeah. I mean, I'm shocked to hear that the guy behind Polyphonic <laughs> thinks about the intersection of visuals and music. Yep. But um yep. but yeah, no, packaging is a huge deal. Like even even in genres that are less um open to interpretation. That, that's not even like less ambient, leaving less space for you to bring yourself to it. Like I think that that album art sets such an expectation like this is um not to you know just quote a cover stories video or anything <laughs> but uh not quote i don't have them memorized but uh but you talk about something like i thought Dark you Side were my friend and <laughs> i've i've watched all of them <laughs> but purely purely out of loyalty but um <laughs> But yeah, no, I think you look at something like Dark Side of the Moon and so much of the experience of that album is based on the framing that the cover gives it. And yeah. this is true with basically every iconic album cover. Like London Calling is... God, I'm just pointing to ones that you did cover yep, stories videos are, yeah, about. Yeah. Uh, but like, it, it's just such an iconic cover and it's so clearly frames what you're about to hear and you know i think if you put london calling release that but with the cover of dark side of the moon i don't think it would have as much of an impact on the experience as if you took like a or you know, if Dungeon you put london calling over put dungeon it, like, synth yeah <laughs> yes i also well, yeah. actually there's another case where i see this a lot too and it's another sort of weird genre especially because it's a genre that just like borders on is this even a distinct song and that is nightcore music where yeah. They have these like sort of like trippy anime things that uh, they typically put on their videos yeah. as well. But Nightcore is yeah. just like certain pop songs that have been sped up so they're higher pitched. And that's like the entire thing. <laughs> yeah. Like we talked about like earlier, we, we referenced anyway, the like lo-fi uh, hip hop yep. beats to study yep. to. And like that, that is much more a specific visual image in my head than it is any sound. Yep. Like... Yeah. When I say that, I think of Lo-Fi Girl. The cartoon girls Lo-Fi Girl studying. Yeah. I don't think of what that music sounds like. That comes second. Yeah. I I think that speaks again to a a a big shift in music that's happened with like YouTube and the streaming world is things like Lo-Fi Beats to Study to, things like Dungeon Synth. You know, prog rock has always had badass dragons and stuff on covers but i think sure. that like the the visual component especially i think for um a lot of people younger than us who have like grown up on the internet the visual component is such a big part of you know these these sorts of ambient things yeah. in a way that like like i don't have any issues at all with the covers of you know the covers of 
like Brian Eno or Aphex Twin or stuff like that. But I don't think that they play in to the same way that a lot of the imagery of a lot of the modern online ambient stuff plays in. I think the titles do, though. Yes. Like, what was it? Like Music for Airports? Yes, Am Music I for Airports, yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's like that, that sort of thing, I think, similarly really primes you for that experience in a way that... God, like you said, you, like, I think it's really interesting to think about, like, taking that Dungeon Synth album, but presenting it with, like, you know, a rocket ship or the James Webb telescope. Yeah. Or just, like, you know, anything that does not evoke high fantasy and especially because like synth as a sound is much more sci-fi than it is fantasy yeah exactly like that is the much more natural association and so i wonder the extent to which like the album art is not just not just passively contributing but a really important active part of getting you in the correct headspace to hear this as if it is a fantasy thing in a way that like Bardcore doesn't have to because Bardcore is playing yeah, Bardcore with fantasy just feels sounds. Fantastical, yeah, yeah. And as somebody and like you, who you also do... really likes synthwave, this uh, this, yeah. this rings hard, yeah, yeah. And it's just like to what extent you know there there are sonic differences, like that's true, but like and and you know you often won't spend the entire time staring at the album art, but like the one I listened to. Uh, was this Crown of Mesmer by Worm Priest, if anyone's curious. Uh, it was really good. Uh, but the album art is just this giant purple snake uh, on, like, I think, like, on a mountain of treasure or something. And it's like, okay, that... Yep. <laughs> that tells me how to... Because, like, again, there's there's no lyrics. And so the story is very open to interpretation. And these sorts of visual cues can give you a lot of insight into what to what details to fill in that overall narrative arc with. Yeah. They're a cue to, to push you along your journey. And then, you know, it, it, I think it hits in a very like subconscious way often, uh, though also it also often hits in a conscious way because when I look and see yeah. a worm with a crown yeah. sitting on a pile of treasure, I'm like, hell yeah, that worm definitely be stealing some treasure. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, time to go fight that worm for its treasure. Yeah, yeah. Like that's, but yeah, no. Like I said, what I did to listen to the, check out this genre was find a YouTube channel that had a bunch of dungeon synth uh, albums, and just pick whichever one had the, the album art that grabbed me first and looked like the coolest fantasy stuff. Yeah, and that's where I that's where I wound up. That's how you do it. Yeah. All right. Well. Tristan, do you, did you have any more sort of dungeon synth thoughts that you wanted to get in? Uh, it's it's a vibe. Um, it I would certainly say that is. You should definitely um, experience it at some point. It, uh, yeah, just put on something, let it wash over you, and I don't know, see what you feel, see what you yeah. think. Um, it's definitely worth experiencing at least once. Yeah, and just to throw it out there, if you're looking for where, like, I just found a channel called the Dungeon Synth Archives on YouTube. Uh, they, they just have a bunch of Dungeon Synth albums. So go there, pick whichever one has the coolest combination of album art and album name and band name for you. Yeah. And just put that on. See what you see how you feel. Yeah. I'm just seeing right now a uh, Dungeon Synth song on Spotify that is made by 
an artist named Velastraz, which if I remember correctly, is the name of a dragon from World of Warcraft. So yeah. you're, you, this is the vibe you're going for. That yeah. sounds right. Yeah. My my personal favorite one might be uh, Tales Under the Oak, the Toad King, where the artwork is like, uh, it's a Toad King. Uh, I don't know what, sure. what, what more to say. Uh, but Yeah, I, I feel like I got the idea. Yeah. But generally, like, yeah, I can't stress enough, so much of the fun of Dungeon Synth is literally going to YouTube, searching Dungeon Synth, looking at the album artwork and being like, that looks like the vibe that I want right now. And then you put it on and you have like 20 to 40 minutes of just vibes and you can just vibe. Yeah. Vibe. All right. Mm -hmm. Well, Tristan, once again... Uh, you want to let everybody know where they can find you if they want more uh, seemingly innocuous topics that spiral into everything. Oh, boy. Well, if uh, if you want to find I can be found wherever great 12 tone and polyphonic videos are found, which is on uh, <laughs> nebula TV slash step back. Hey. Or you can go to stepbackhistory.com and find the YouTube channel there. Or you can put in probsnotaliens.com and find the podcast. Those are the main main things to go because I have not done the smart thing and even got myself like a link tree or something. Yeah. Oh, I I don't. Is is pop is probably not aliens? Is that a nebula thing or? Yeah. Nice. Well, then you can find it the same place you find ghost notes too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Yeah. Everywhere they are, we are. Yeah. Except where they're better. Just kidding. Yeah. I'm I'm almost <laughs> certain your stuff is better than ours because our I know our stuff very well and I'm not so familiar <laughs> with your stuff. So <laughs> uh, no. yeah, just stochastic uh, principles. Yeah, exactly. Oh God. Uh, all right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This was yeah. this was a really fun topic. I I it's I I'm I was really excited when you mentioned it because it's I've I it's even something that I've like toyed with doing a video on, but like. I don't think there's like enough there or enough interest for me to do a full video on it, but it was really fun to just talk about it a little. There's a very good, but very old video on the YouTube channel. This exists about it. If you want to like ah. kind of get more of like that kind of thing. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. We should probably wrap this up. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Take care.